Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey friends, as you all know, the presidential election is coming up November 3rd. If you haven't yet registered to vote, my favorite resource for all voting questions is IWillVote.com. There you can check your registration, request an absentee ballot, apply to vote by mail, or vote from abroad. With so much at risk this election, it's imperative that we make sure our voices are heard. And I'm so hopeful that everyone in this community shows up this election to make change. Now let's get to the show. Hey everyone, happy Monday and welcome back to the show. My name is Olivia Perez. I'm a journalist, entrepreneur, and the host of Friend of a Friend, a show where we sit down with some of my friends, your friends, and new friends to host inspiring conversations about building something from the ground up. Every first Monday of the month, my best friend, the co-founder of the Osho System, a Nike master trainer and co-founder of System of Service, Joe Holder, joins me on the show for a co-hosted episode where we talk about everything from friendship to work, projects we're passionate about, advice, wellness, and more. This episode felt more challenging than most because it goes without saying that this week is definitely going to be a chaotic one. But tomorrow being election day, Joe and I decided to sit down and have a conversation that's probably similar to what so many of you are also having right now. We discussed our hopes, anxieties, and observations from the days leading up to this election. From our thoughts on voter suppression to down ballot elections and how we're supposed to cope with the upcoming week. We also talked through how we best manage expectations, both professionally and personally, which we hope will be helpful in the coming weeks when things feel really out of our control. And as always, we answer some of your questions submitted via Instagram, so stick around to the end, and thank you to those that have been submitting questions throughout these episodes. Before we start the show, I really want to call attention to our last two episodes, one with the co-founder of Blue Future, Morgan Starr, and the other with the co-founder of Run For Something, Amanda Lippman. If this election has made you feel inspired to do more than just vote, they are two incredible organizations that encourage young people to get involved in the political system, from helping potential candidate campaigns to even launching one of your own. You can head to our podcast page to find their information and get in touch with them if you're interested. So let's start the show. Here's my friend, Joe Holder. What up? Hey, everyone. Who's on the verge of a nervous breakdown? Say <laughs> Uh, I mean, that's me uh, forever. <laughs> Hi, Joe. Good. How are you? What's you going doing? on? Tell me about life. You know, just living. New, new exercise next logo hoodie. <laughs> we love it. I was going to say it looks really fresh, really sharp. I'm loving you your look the, for today's pod. You should see the other looks even better. Can't wait. When are they coming out? I don't know. I'm supposed to be. Let's just see what happens with this election, you know? What's on your mind this week? How do you feel? 
Uh, how do I feel? Uh, I'm all right. I am. I'm good, actually. I mean, I don't know. I don't. I don't. Weird start to the week, but I'm just chilling. I'm just. Things are crazy. Like I think everybody's just kind of waited with bated breath with everything that's about to go down. But just trying to keep my peace, keep focused on the work because no matter the turnout, there's still work to be done. So it's. Uh, I think grant yourself a little bit of patience. Grant yourself a little bit of kindness, which I'm trying to do, and uh, letting go of disillusion is my theme for the next few weeks. Elaborate for us. I mean, I don't know. It's just letting go of disillusion, being disengaged, like making reality to be something different than it is. I think you just have to accept to a certain extent. That doesn't mean be apathetic, but allow yourself the ability to accept things as they are, not as you wish as they were, and then continue to move in a direction that hopefully will get them in a way that is better for everyone. And I don't know how you feel about this, but it's like, it's been such a swindle because we're always taught to look at the individual, right? Like if, if something's going wrong, it's your fault. So with self-care, we're constantly looking at how do we change ourselves? Like we look at it, how do I change or how do I improve myself? Like there's something wrong with us. Instead of really realizing when you really think about it, the, the human body and vessel to an extent always skews towards success. Your body repairs itself. Your body continues to live. Your body continuously reinvigorates. What stops you? from actually achieving your base level of greatness or your continued development? Is it all the time you? It's your relation to the environment in which that you're in. So self-care really, which we need to reestablish it, is not really just trying to figure out what's wrong with us. It's setting up our environment for flourishing. So we need to reestablish self-care, not just, of course, it's like buying these products and of course, taking care of yourself, but Taking care of yourself becomes so much easier if you improve the environment in which you exist. I mean, maybe I'm understanding this a bit differently now because I, I don't like have a house or home or apartment. Like I'm just nomadic, but it, it's very fascinating to me. So you think that self care has a plays a big role in your environment. Your environment plays so a big role. Your environment role in your plays a big role in your self care. Yeah. Like so uh, again, it's like understanding the interdimensionality of self is not just you. There's the people you're around, the places that you're in, the culture in which you are present. I mean, how many times have we talked about that in quarantine or whatever we're in these days? Yeah, I mean, you're right. You're right. I don't know. Maybe this has clicked for me in a different way over the past few days or weeks or whatever. Yeah, because you don't have like a place that's yours. But it's also been cool lately when you have described what like you want your future home base to be like. It's included a lot more spaces for yourself than I've ever heard you say in the past. So I understand how those dots are clicking for you where you're like, okay, it's not just about like, how can I sit somewhere and like try to calm down, but more about like, how can I provide like the infrastructure, quite literally a place that is for me and for my well-being that is like away from all the things that take us away from ourselves. Yeah, yeah, it's getting grounded again in oneself and, and creating a catapult towards human flourishing that is in collaboration with the environment, in collaboration with each other. Uh, and that also gets you greater collaboration with yourself. So it's like... Essentially, you're stealing the idea of my dojo. I'm not stealing the idea of your dojo. <laughs> I mean, who, how do you even get the idea of this dojo? It's probably for me, so let's not go that way. But no, <laughs> Guys, you're, I built a I mean, dojo in just, my house. In my, <laughs> wait, I mean, tell them about my dojo, Joe. Yeah, 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 hey, tell them. I built a dojo in my house. It's not really a dojo. My little balcony that like faces a bunch of trees. And it used to have just like a cute little like patio bistro table. And I got home one day and I was like, 
this is not what this should be used for. I cleared out the whole thing. I got like a rug. I got like all these chairs that you can sit on on the floor. And I go out there every morning and it's been the most grounding thing I've ever done for myself. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's sick. And but what's lucky is, is like you, you have, as you should, this is what, all right, as you should, since you have the means to do it, I argue that if you do not create environments for personal human flourishing, if you come from the means, that is worse. That is bad. That is, that is like, that is exceedingly, that's selfish in the wrong way. Selfish in the right way is doing what you do. You experience that. And then you create within communities that don't have access to it or collaborate with people within those communities already who don't have access to it to create centers of human flourishing. So that's why churches to an extent are important. Like outside of the religion is that these are safe spaces. Boys and girls clubs are important. YMCAs are important. And that's what gyms should be, but gyms are. Gyms are just fucking swindles. So at the end of the day, it's, you know, it's looking back at, stop saying, oh, like, oh, this person should just be able to do it themselves. Like, why can't we create environments for best results? Which is what you see, you know, as we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about is with the concept of voting. Why, why is it so hard for people to vote? It's not because people, it's crazy that we got to come up with a voting plan. It's insane. Bizarre. I am really sorry that I can't remember where I read this. Part of me wants to say maybe it was a Jay Shetty book, but he basically said like, no matter what space you live in, try and find a space, even if it's like a corner or a closet or something in your house that you make that's just for you to find your own solace and space that like isn't your dining room, space that isn't your kitchen. Like it's not a place where you have to do things. It's a place that's just dedicated to you. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's why religious practices then link back to the main place that's dedicated to you, which is your body and mind. So if you clean those up, probably a little bit better. But it's probably why uh, in Islam, you pray six times a day because you set up that space, that safe space, which is, it can be mobile, you, and you, but you set up the ritual of, of, of engaging in an activity that will help you get better grounded in yourself. In a labyrinth walking meditation the other day, What's that? Basically, this is a thought process where you set up a labyrinth or you find a labyrinth and you... Oh, do we... Where? I'm sorry. You just, <laughs> we're going to go find ourselves a labyrinth, everybody. Go find your local labyrinth. <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable. I mean, but you can just do walking. You can, it's just a walking meditation, basically. That was good. That was one of your better, that was one of your better quips. I'll give you that. I am not funny, so I appreciate you. <laughs> Wait, so are you listening to something while you're not? You're listening to nothing. No, you're just focusing on the walk and the experience of the walk. Okay. And there may be a, there may be a prompt, but basically, when you sometimes it's the goal of shifting, I think, a stagnant meditation into a walking meditation because that's more connected to life. So, can you connect meditation essentially with movement? And then there's also the coordination aspect of it. So. It kind of engages your full brain in the moment and makes meditation a consistent contemplative action instead of just simply instead of just simply like kind of a seated practice. The labyrinth is an interesting inclusion because it's like if you think about it, you only have like one way to go. And is it also subconsciously challenging your mind to stay focused and not like get worried about which direction you're going in? Or am I jumping to conclusions? I mean, eventually you may, you go through the center and you got to turn back around, but then you really discover that there's like 
control, but really no control because the di- directions really end up right. after you continuously doing it, just feel the same. You kind of, it's just, so that's just a random, random side, I suppose. <laughs> um, you seem in a way better headspace than anybody will probably be while they're listening to this. So we appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm, I don't know what's going to go on, but you know how I feel. It's no matter who wins, I will say simply this. Something positive that Trump has done has made us all be engaged in a political process so much more than we previously would have thought. We, and it's true. And it's I true, couldn't but, even handle the first half of that sentence until you said <laughs> something that's extremely true. But I was like, ah, not right now. The situation is is that I think the mistake that we made during the Obama years is that it, 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 uh, politicians shouldn't be celebrities. We got a little bit too disengaged with the political process. Trump is a celebrity too, in just a different way for different people. He's definitely been more engaged in the political process, but so have other individuals, and which, which to an extent, may have negative ramifications as we see what's going on with the courts. So, again, my whole philosophy is you vote with the most vulnerable in mind. Um, of course, still protect yourself, but vote with the most vulnerable in mind. Vote based on reality, not just with some, you know ethereal value system that's been pushed on you by other individuals and no matter who wins stay engaged because it doesn't matter if biden wins it doesn't matter if trump wins of course it matters but what matters is the continuous effort to recognize politicians or civil servants they are not celebrities they do not love you we do not love them they they should be working for the people and we hold them accountable I've just been very interested, actually, in like Ameri- more so American history, a little bit more political history, just understanding really how we got to this point from a long-term structure. You know, I'm sitting there and, you know, I take out money for basically an allowance. So I try not to spend too much outside of business expenses that I put on a card. And, you know, there's a few $20 bills in front of me. And I'm, and I'm looking at the face of Andrew Jackson, one of the most vicious presidents in American history terms of race and respect to both Native Americans and Blacks. And there's just this guy that we have on our money. And it's just fascinating that not knowing a little bit more of history or how we, how we present uh, the, the, the saviors of American political history, which I'm sure is the same elsewhere. I'm sure it's the same in other countries. Um, so it's very, the, it's very intriguing to me the, the impact of the cultural relics on our current moments and, and, and what that means in terms of who we pay respect and homage to. You know, we saw that with the Confederate statues. We see that with names on certain buildings and in, in, in schools and universities. We've seen it with, you know, the Woodrow Wilson controversy and maybe Princeton. But it's just like, oh, who are the victors and who, how do we get to this point and understanding both the forgotten players in the, in the, in history and the overemphasized individuals and, here we are. I like to hear that you're going backwards and like really for me, I think right now I'm I'm most invested in like reading the news, watching the news and like just kind of seeing what's going on right now in this moment, especially someone that's already voted. I'm curious to see about what it's like to vote in real time across the country, especially in places like Texas and Florida. But it's interesting to hear you say that like you're going back and you're the most curious about how we got to this point. Is there something specific in just like the past week of you trying to learn and understand where we are that's like been the most surprising to you? I've been super intrigued about the concept of voter disenfranchisement, especially as a black male and understanding the time scale a little bit more, just as a rudimentary, rough kind of thought about why, why was it so hard for people to vote? 
why is it so hard for people to vote? Why, when we try to make it currently easier for, not even easier, but it's more accessible for people to vote now, people want to claim voter fraud. There's so many court cases right now where, you know, uh, Republicans are trying to fight against certain, basically, in North Carolina, you saw that they're, they're allowing now ballots that were bookmarked or postmarked by November 3rd by 5 p.m. to now count. Why is that even a, a, a discussion? And then they try to frame that, you know, a lot of conservative pundits on Twitter and, and the news try to frame that as, oh, this is just the Democrats trying to ruin the election. It's like, why are we afraid to let people vote? It's like, let's really take a second. And then look right. at the historical implications of that of why it took so long for women to be able to vote, black people to be able to vote, even when they were granted the ability to vote. What are the other steps that were taken to make it harder for them to vote, whether that be poll taxes or Jim Crow, whether that be changing the amount of, of uh, places available to be able to vote, not making election day a holiday. But there's just so much. And there's just so much or the connection between felons and their ability to not to be able to vote even after they serve their sentence how that implicates the voting public in certain jurisdictions. In Mississippi, 16% of the population can't vote. Most of them are black. And it's just like, why? Because they have, they've been, they've been convicted for certain uh, felonies that make them no longer able to vote, even past their jail time. That's a lot. That's a huge part of the population. If you were poor and dumb, you, why couldn't you vote? Some places had literacy tests. If you couldn't pass a literacy test, and this is people who are typically a voter registration and it was, you know, typically applied against African-Americans. You couldn't vote. You would ask, you know, such things as like, what is, where's the Bill of Rights? Name two purposes of the U.S. Constitution. Couldn't answer that. You can't vote. You said something to me the, the other day where I was just like, you, I think you said it's insane that it takes this much work to make our democracy work. And I was yeah. just like, you see people waiting in line for 10 hours at a time. Yeah. You want to know what's crazy? Something that you, when we talk about that literacy test thing, because this is what I'm saying, right? You, you, if you wanted to say they were trying to go against poor, dumb people, you know what happened? If you're, if you're a white male, and this is why women, this is what's crazy why white women sometimes don't also, or women, especially white women, is that they were, you were discriminated against too. So everybody should be against this. But if you couldn't pass the literacy test, you know what they did for white men? They had something called a grandfather clause. If your grandfather, if I was a white guy, but I didn't know the questions, the answer to some of those questions. But as a white male, if my grandfather had voted, you know, dating back to whatever, the 1860s, I could vote. So it didn't matter if I didn't pass. If I'm a white man and my grandfather voted, I was in. Later, that was, you know, eventually ruled unconstitutional. And poll taxes were eventually ruled unconstitutional by, by 1965. And that's why the Voting Rights Act of 1965 was so big. And this is why a lot of people are concerned about, you know, the way the Supreme Court is set up because they're wondering, will the Voting Rights Act end up getting, you know, removed? So it's just crazy. We'll be right back after the break. This week's episode is sponsored by Georgetown McDonough MBA. If there is anything I could redo looking back on my college career, there's nothing I regret more than not getting a business degree. As an entrepreneur and someone who always wanted to be one, there were so many things that I had to learn the hard way and still am and an MBA can apply to almost anything you do in your professional career. Georgetown University's McDonough School of Business develops principled leaders committed to serving both business and society. Through their global perspective, they prepare students to compete in today's international business environment. Whether you choose to immerse yourself in their full-time program or choose to balance work and life with their Flex MBA program, their programs are the perfect launchpad for discovering your true strength and finding a program that best fits your needs. 
Flexible formats mean you can earn a Georgetown MBA on your schedule. It's a part-time program you can complete in as little as 26 months, advancing your career without pausing it. As a Georgetown MBA student, you'll have access to all Washington, D.C. has to offer, from top thought leaders to the world's largest multinational corporations. And you'll get to meet people from all around the world, with the incoming MBA classes representing 42 different countries. This multiculturalism is just one of the ways Georgetown exposes you to diverse perspectives and prepares you to excel on the global stage. The Recruiter Insights Report from Bloomberg Businessweek rated Georgetown MBAs as the world's most innovative, creative, and best-trained graduates. And at Georgetown, you'll become a part of this like-minded community that's paving the way to success for entrepreneurs and thought leaders like so many of you listening, and even guests that we've had on the show who are following their dreams too. Explore the full-time and flex MBA programs and discover how Georgetown McDonough can help you launch the career you want at choosegeorgetown.com MBA. Hi guys, my name is Sarah Nicole and I am the host of the Papaya Podcast, where each week we dish out some sweetness mixed in with some seeds of wisdom all through candid conversations in a very real and tangible way. I want everyone to know that they're not alone and that we share in these experiences called life. And sometimes when we get to know somebody else's story, it changes ours a little bit as well. So I want you to tune in with us on Mondays, subscribe, rate and review it and keep these conversations going with us. You can tune in behind the scenes at the Papaya Podcast and the birds papaya on Instagram as well. Can't wait to see you next week. This might be a really big question, but like, what do you think is the biggest issue right now in voting and how would you change it? Ooh, wow. Voting should be a paid holiday or you don't get a penalty. We need to make people have an understanding of just the privilege of, 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 of voting and, and really what it means. So step one is, give people access to it. The voting should be a national holiday. Voting should be a vibe. Voting should be a party, like schools, it's businesses, or whatever should allow people to go vote. Like I, I went to UPenn and one of the, it's a petition right now against UPenn because they're, they're They claim they can't disrupt the school calendar anymore, but people are wanting them to give, to set up the time where their employees can actually go to vote because there's a wide amount of employees that don't know that they can. And a lot of them, are going to try to go after work when the lives may be too long or they just don't have a plan put into place. Businesses should create an infrastructure or advise accordingly for people to partake, partake in, in, excuse me, in the civil, in the civil process. Uh, we have to make it a whole year thing. It should, in my opinion, the concept of voting should be all year round. You're constantly aware of what's going on. You're constantly engaged in politics. And if you know if somebody uh, isn't holding up their end of the bargain on whatever levels, local, state, or federal. We just have to make it, honestly, we just have to make it relevant. And that's and that could be pretty exciting. I also have to say, like, you know, this sounds really corny, but I had something happen this week that was so impactful to me and I need to share because I think we also forget how powerful it is to talk to your friends and the people in your close circles about voting. One of my closest friends came over and he's lived out of the country for a couple of years. He was born here, but he came over and we were talking and I was like, you know, Alex and I had just voted. And I was like, what's your vote? Like, when are you going to go vote? And he was like, I'm not voting this year. And he's a 28 year old man who is now back in America. And I, if you know me, I'm kind of short tempered. Sometimes I lost it. I was just like, how do you how, how do you not want to vote? Give me a good rationale. And he was like, I don't like either of the candidates. And while I understand that perspective, we ended up getting into a debate where I had told him that it was so important that he 
go out and vote, whether even if it's just for your local elections, like just even having a voice in that. And even for me, like when I went and looked up the props, like I'm so glad that I did that and I understand what's going on in my neighborhood. And Mm -hmm. I think, so we ended up having this like big debate. Didn't really get settled at the end. Yesterday morning, I woke up to a text from him saying, hey, uh, decided that I'm going to go register to vote today. That's great. And I was just like, you know, it kind of seems like a corny concept. I can't tell you how many times I've gone on Instagram and seen like, call three of your friends and ask them what their, what their voting plan is and, and, and messaging like that. As corny as it is, it really is so important because you don't know who of your friends might not be as informed or as willing. And it's so important to influence people around you to go out and do it. It really is. Yeah, that, I mean, that it's totally kinda... changed my changed my week. I was just like, wow, like I had the, I had that effect on one person. Imagine how many imagine how many people listening to this pod can have effects on other people. Yeah, I agree. It's each one teach one. Just send a quick message to your group chat. Yo, remember voting day is coming up. Make sure you go vote. You know, it's just oh, and guys, you I, see this? I know election day is tomorrow, but like that doesn't mean that it's not too late. Yes, you will probably wait in a line tomorrow, bring a chair, bring snacks, do all the things. But like, if you have not gotten to it yet, like, please, please, please get out there and vote tomorrow. I know a lot of people have mailed in early, but even if you're like my friend who is or was on the fence and you're listening to this or something else that has changed your mind, like definitely get out there, do your research, be prepared. I used Ballotopedia to let me know it was on my ballot. And then I did my research from there on like what I wanted to vote for or against make sure you show up prepared. It's a really, really rewarding experience. And I think that everybody listening should definitely take part. Also, if you have mailed in your ballot, go to ballottracks.com and it will ask you for some of your information, like your name, last name, maybe your zip code, I think. And it will tell you exactly where your ballot is and if it's been counted. So that was really helpful. Thanks. What's your biggest piece of advice for people not losing their shit tomorrow? It's out of your control. So why not everyone's as logical as you, Joe? Like I'm gonna wake up Tuesday morning have a pan- having a panic attack. My thing is this: stop thinking it's gonna be solved by the end of Tuesday, because that's the first yeah. step is to understand it's gonna take. A- no, I'm saying you won't even know who won until the end of the week, at least. At least I know this. I'm well aware. <laughs> Honestly, you, you voted. You did your thing. Find a small group safely, especially during these COVID times, or something that you can do. Remove yourself, man. Like, like go think about, I think, the, the implications of this moment to an extent. Think about what you want from it moving forward, regardless of who wins. But also just find joy in, in existence to an extent. I know this sounds super weird and super dumb. I'm not saying check out, but I'm also saying you did what you could do. You voted, right? So at this point, take a step back, recalibrate. You know, don't get, stop trying to refresh Instagram, Twitter, see all these kind of triggering aspects just try to remove yourself in a way that is prudent on that note i want to talk about the idea of managing expectations you and i have been talking about this a lot i want to hear a little bit about your experience with managing and setting expectations for yourself expectations are are a hard thought process because i was more so but i always used to think about outcomes i used to always think about outcomes as a finite thing and not really get caught up in the expectations to the full extent of others. In my adult life, that has changed because I, uh, because as I think as an entrepreneur or freelancer, there are expectations put on you by outside sources because you're often contracted for work or you're contracted right. for ideas. 
it goes back, I think, to defining yourself, defining what you want out of things and understanding that for the most part, for a lot of us, we already are above average. So if you, if you might as well entertain the question of how great can I be? How great can I be? But this culture, I think, of just general acceptance of mediocrity is dangerous because, especially in this time, it's don't hold yourself to such high standards and high expectations, especially if the environment situation or your current place does not lend itself to those being met. But also check yourself on the other end that if you're not doing what you should be doing, stop giving yourself excuses. We live in a culture now that just wants to accept everything, including mediocrity. It's like, oh, don't worry about it. Like times are hard right now. That means just give yourself a break. It's like, okay, maybe you do need a break, but also maybe you're just not doing what you should be doing. How about in the area in which you know that you are great or can be great? Hold yourself to the highest expectations possible. But that is on you. because That is on you. And that is able for you to also be able to give yourself a little bit of leeway and forgiveness. But the thought process that I find very interesting regarding expectations is ask yourself how great you can be and ask yourself, can you fully live up to this idea of how you want yourself to be? But if that's not met, that doesn't mean you you need to be hard on yourself. That's just a consistent learning experience. As a youth, as a youth, as I say, a youth, I was too hard. I was a, I was I was too anxious. I was overly driven. I had coaches that were super hard on me. External expectations were too much for me personally. As I've aged, I've understood I've understood the difference between external expectations and internal desire for excellence, and shifting it more to. And it's just how I've just, I guess, created a, a structure for living, but shifting it more to figuring out, and there's an ebb and flow, what are my internal guidelines for myself? That even when I have all these things coming at me, I can kind of not, I can't, I won't get caught up in them. I'm like, I don't care how somebody all the time always expects me to live. I know the people that pay my bills and the work that got to be done. I understand their expectations. I understand my family's expectations, my loved one's expectations, my internal expectations. Sometimes we get too caught up in guidelines and expectations from, from sources that we shouldn't be worried about. So managing expectations is to understand that expectations are not a finality. Their goals are not a finality. They're just a continuous process in which you, you, know, once you eventually figure things out. Once you pivot, you keep moving, you keep growing. At the end of the day, what happens if you have a bad podcast? What do you do? Do you stop? Do you ever stop? No, never. You keep going with <laughs> it. I'll usually at the end of it sit down and like, sit down quietly and try to reflect on what it was that wasn't working. If it's on me, it's not a good day. If it's just a vibe thing, it's okay. I try to learn from it and move on. But I'm like a, I'm a very pragmatic problem solver too. I'll write down notes. I'll try and like really get to the root of what it was. So I attempt to not let it happen again. But I'm also the kind of person that like, Joe knows me very well. Like I can be slightly paranoid in my approach to things. Like I'm a planner. Joe's like, you want to get lunch? I'm like, yeah, how's next Friday? Like, I'm a planner. (laughs) I always have a plan B. That's just the way that I manage avoiding failure or avoiding disappointment to some extent. The Q&As this week, everybody, let's talk about them. Interesting questions, I must say. Very Joe-specific. I'm beginning to get a little bit concerned that you guys are stalking Joe. But I'm going (laughs) to throw them at him and see what his responses are because they are there. Spicy, spicy boys. Yeah, we're going to get to as many as we can, but I'm going to throw Joe one for like a loop for the first one. Joe, tell us about your friendship. Joe, (laughs) tell us about your friendship with 
Tamara Knopper and her incredible research. <laughs> wow. What the hell? How y'all, <laughs> y'all really in it? I was um, not kidding. I wasn't yeah, kidding. So Dr. Knopper, she was one of my favorite teachers in undergrad. I took a couple classes with her, Asians in America. I uh, probably took a look at critical race theory as it related to Asians and also just the development of American culture and, and, and Asians within that. And I took another class that I can't really remember that I had with her. But she just pushed me. Like, I really became intrigued by the concept of sociology with that class. She pushed me to be better. Uh, she taught me a lot of skills about writing. She was one of the first teachers I actually enjoyed. And that really pushed me to be better and to get in tune with my writing. I mean, we just have a really good friendship on Twitter. She also puts me randomly in a lot of her contextual research and, and presentations. And uh, she really helped me understand, uh, I think, the world in a different way. So she's great. Definitely changed my life undergrad at school. Probably was one of the reasons that I majored in sociology. And and, and uh, I, I was very glad when she had reached out to me because she had seen some of my columns and, and was really, and I've helped inspire her fitness journey. So. Quid pro quid, no Ukraine. I love that. I didn't even know that about you. So thanks to whoever asked that. Yeah, good question. Very specific. What is a topic that you've recently become interested in and are digging deeper into? Kid, that's a good question. There's basically this kind. There's this. There's this. It's called kind of forest farms, where basically it's like a community garden on crack, but basically they found in in certain areas. And of the world, they were able to create these forest farms that just had so much local, that just just so much food in, in places that seemed obscene to be able to have this food. I'm just really interested into, I guess, the process as always of, of food in a different way a little bit. I'm looking into, uh, in the future, hopefully in 2021, helping sponsor and create some community gardens in certain cities around the country. That's so cool. Trying to develop that with a few peeps. Uh, also super intrigued right now in... Basically, the concept of attention deficit trait versus ADD, something I've been reading about. Basically, uh, ADD has kind of a genetic neurological basis. Uh, ADT, or advanced, uh, advanced attention deficiency trait, is entirely environmental and is a result of our modern living and what it's doing to our attention and how we can com- combat that. Joe, how do you meet friends in a pandemic and what are some of your best conversation starters? Um, I'm going to say this know. again. We are losing friends in COVID. Yeah, like I'm not really, I'm getting better. I, mean, I guess I'm getting better friends. I just check in on folks for the most part. But also one of the things that I've realized is I'm no longer putting effort into relationships that either one-sided or didn't serve me or didn't really have a point or that person didn't really, I guess, fully care. It's just that what's the point? Like I'm not, I shouldn't just, you shouldn't just sustain relationships for the sake of if they are not beneficial. But, you know, uh, another way I think is, is to really have conversations with people, really ask them what they're doing. What are they interested in? I think a super easy conversation starter, especially if even if you're just light friends. My thing is think about how you can be better friends with possibly individuals. So, you know, instead of just passively watching Instagram stories, maybe really ask somebody a question about what you, something yeah. that you see that might interest them. So ask them right. what's going on. What is that? How do I learn more? What's up? How are you? This looks cool. Huge, like, huge tip. Yeah, I think that's just a super simple way is to actually engage with folks if you're consuming their content. And even if they're associates and you want to be better friends, you know, nothing wrong with a nice pen pal. We've talked about this a million times. Ask more than just saying, how are you? Like, 
there's just yeah. more to more to be said. I think it's a very like passive sentence, passive way. It's like the best and quickest way to small talk. So if you can come up with something different, something that just feels a little bit more authentic, if you have a genuine question to ask them. I have a dear friend who texts me often and checks in and she says, how's your heart today? Instead of saying, how are you? Yeah. And that always kind of gives me, I don't need permission to open up, but it almost kind of does give me that to be like, you know, I'm not feeling my best or whatever it is. So that's, a, those are both really good tips. Thanks. Joe. And I wrote a note for this because I don't, I have no idea if you're going to know this. I had no idea what it was. Joe, do you recommend the Hazda diet that's popular in Tanzania? For those who don't know, because I didn't know the Hadza diet focuses on a group Hadza. of hunter gatherers in Tanzania. Their diet consists entirely of food they find in the forest, including wild berries, fiber rich tuber, I don't know what that word, honey, and wild meat. They basically eat no processed food or even food that comes from farms. Well, the earth is a really farm. hard way to live. Well, they're hunter gatherers. Yeah, but I'm just saying, like, if like this person maybe lives in that's asking you this is in a metropolitan city, like that's a hard way to live. Yeah, basically, that diet is what you would call it is technically a paleo diet, but also what you would call a sapiens diet, I think, which is just eating from the land in relation to where it is that you live in hybrid with seasonal development, and then understanding the impact that also the seasons may have on your body and uh, availability of food and how to go through that. Do I recommend that specific diet? Well, no, it's a lifestyle. So it's contingent upon where you live. Maybe you should change the way that you eat or look at the foods that you consume. So my thing with all that stuff is, again, this is where I feel about meat. Meat is health is a healthy food. It's a nutrient-dense food. It's not healthy, but it's nutrient-dense. Some people need meat. A lot of societies and cultures are about it. And that's so for good reason, the issue is a lot of times how, how it's raised. And if you have ethical considerations, I feel you good for you. But I guess just to answer the question, I support a diet that eats in relation to the earth is minimally to unprocessed, is not one that you just eat for the sake of, but you but you eat as part of uh, integrating in, in, into your lifestyle. And also get dirty like get with the earth like you get to understand a little bit that's why farmers markets are a little bit cool because the food so it's a little bit more of you know the microbiome attached the microbiome of the earth attached to it there's a symbiosis with your food and where it comes from and the earth so i do like that diet because it's very interesting to see the manner in which people eat in relation to the earth can change the way that their body functions so Basically, this tribe, a lot of people think they might have the healthiest and most diverse microbiome in the world, but it has to do not just with what they eat, it has to do with the earth as well. Last question that I'm actually, I, I really do love this question because I can imagine it's something that you probably have a challenge with. How do you invite friends to be interested in personal growth? I force them. I force yeah, them. I right? leave them behind. But like, I, you also can't force <laughs> someone. <laughs> you also can't force someone to like... Uh, to want, like, if you know, some people might be stubborn in that way, and like, sometimes people don't want to like face some truths about themselves. So, it's like, how do you like slightly nudge someone to be like, hey, you could use a little personal development today? <laughs> make it a part of your, make it a natural part of your life because whether you, especially if they're a friend, whether you realize it or not, they're like always watching you. The reason why people got interested in me is I either forced it on you or it was just, or just come up in conversation connected to something or. I also I think you, if you also, it's impossible to avoid the questions that you're asking. <laughs> what do you mean? I'm just saying like, so much of what you do, so much of what you 
talk about on Instagram, it's really hard to be a passive participant in following you or, or being attracted to your work. It makes you introspective about how you can better your mind and your body. Like there's no way you can just passively flip through your stories. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like if you are a part of the Ocho system community, you are here to be better. But how do you spread that to others? Because uh, again, it's why not? The time's going to pass anyway, so you might as well make the best use of it. But it's not a situation where, you know, you try to indoctrinate. It's like it's not like you turn to the person like, "Oh, did you did you find Jesus today?" It's like, no. It's like, yo, how you feeling? Jesus What's cults. up? How you, you know what I'm doing? It's like, how you doing? Uh, do you take the time to think about how you feeling? How feeling this moment? Did you take the time to? Or one thing is that you'd be talking to people and it's like, yo, like, what's one thing you're grateful for today? What's up? I was like, ah, oh, it's a nice day. What's the, the sun is out. What's one thing you're grateful for today? There's always segues in conversations. That's a great conversation can, starter. Yeah, it's where you, yeah, you make new friends. It's where you can change the manner in which people think about themselves. So it's just like, oh, somebody's like, ah, oh, it's raining. I'm like, ah, oh, yeah, it's raining, but, you know, we got shit to do today. All right, let's figure this out. What's one thing that you're going to do today for yourself that you'll enjoy? And then you're like, oh, you know, it's just super simple. So it doesn't have to be personal development so tough. I'm like, what's one business you're going to build this year that you will hope to see a payoff? You know, it's just figuring out bit by bit. <laughs> no, I think, I think, and I'm even thinking about what I said earlier about my friend texting me saying, how's your heart today? Like sometimes, and I think this is like an issue with our society. We feel like we need permission to engage in self-care and actually think about ourselves and what we want. And asking those questions is almost that moment where you're like, ah, I'm going to take a breath and actually answer it and think about how I feel. Yeah. So yeah, asking those questions is a good thing. Yeah, ask questions. Thank you for coming on again. We love having you on the show every month. This week is obviously going to be weird. So please take care of yourself. Take some time for yourself. Get off the news a little bit if you can. Do some exercise snacks. Gang, gang, snack squad. Time for you this week, guys. We'll see you next month. Peace. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Friend of a Friend. Before you go, make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and at tiermedia.com. And for more behind the scenes of the show, visit us at friendofafriend.us and follow me at Liv Perez on Instagram. Don't forget the two Vs. See you next week.